Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Phil Cox. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. For sure. So, uh, Phil, the first question I want to ask you is how do you start your day? Do you have uh, any specific routine or ritual that you like to stick to on most mornings? Yeah, unfortunately, my uh, I get up at about 4.30 in the morning. I uh, uh, get ready for the day. I hit the gym at about 5 to 5.30 in the morning. I work out um, and then I race home to chase kids to school before heading into the office myself. And that is Monday through Friday. And the only difference between that and like Saturday is uh, Saturday I go to the gym just a little bit later. Cool. Now, uh, what type of, are you just kind of going to like a, a, a box gym or is it a CrossFit gym? What type of training do you actually do for yourself? So I'm too old to do CrossFit. Um, I used to like to be more active on everything, but I would say I go to the gym for 50% of the reason is to exercise and 50% of the reason is to socialize. Okay. Um, the gym I go to is not a bunch of meatheads. It's uh, a lot of business professionals that go early in the morning okay. um, and they work out. I, I probably work out hard for maybe 45 minutes to an hour and then I socialize for a good 20 minutes. Okay, cool. Well, socializing is, is healthy as well. So that's, I love that. That's, that's cool. Um, what's your, uh, do you have a favorite book or uh, I don't know if you uh, are into podcasts much, but a favorite book, favorite podcast. If you got more than one, uh, feel free to share. Um, so I read a lot of different books. I don't know that I'm going to be able to pin one down that I like the most or the least. Um, this may sound strange, but the book I'm reading the most right now is actually the Bible. Mm, so um, that's uh, as far as just other types of books. I like Atlas Shrugged a lot. Um, right now I'm... Uh, uh, reading Atomic Habits. So I, my, my book ranges are across the board. I mean, I read all kinds of stuff. Cool. Um, now, uh, I just want to ask you, you, you mentioned the Bible, uh, faith is something that's really important to me. So, uh, any specific book within the Bible that you really enjoy, or like maybe like a, a favorite kind of go-to verse or anything like that? So I, last year I studied the old Testament um, I covered the Old Testament. This year, I'm doing the New Testament. So right now, I'm jumping back and forth between, um, I'm trying to keep Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John kind of in a similar pattern because they all cover, John's a little bit on his own, but but I cover, um, I'm studying that. I'm mostly studying, like right now, I'm doing a lot of the learning, like um, the parables and stuff like that. I find those interesting. They have they tend to have a lot of layers to them if you break them apart. And then if you really nerd out on it and you study the the different biblical versions of the, you know, there's different Bibles and, and whatnot uh, and the interpretations of words and definitions, it's fascinating what you learn. So for me, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Love that. Okay. Uh, now I'm, I'm sure you've probably learned a lot over the last year and we can extend it past year. This is kind of a, a general question, but what uh, life lesson have you been taught in the last year? And if there's more than one, which I'm probably sure there is, uh, again, feel free to share. 
You ever heard the expression, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still? You ever heard that? Uh, not, not really that. Not, I haven't really heard that. No, I haven't. So what I'm learning so I, I'm sort of a hard charger, if that makes sense. I'm an A personality. And what I'm trying to learn is that um, attacking things aggressively out the gate um, while important, if I if I'm trying to push people against where they really want to be, they're not going to go there. That it means business partners, it means wife, it means children, it means customers, right? So if I have a customer reach out and they've got all kinds of issues and they go, listen, I don't trust anybody, I don't try to convince them. Um, in our space for health, for example, there's something called the nocebo effect. There's the placebo effect, which is where people believe it's going to work and that increases the outcomes, right? There's the nocebo effect, which means if people don't believe it and they anticipate everything to go wrong because that's been their past experiences, it's most likely to repeat. So instead of trying to sell to a customer or ask them to trust me on something when they're already convinced that it's not going to work, as a business, I would prefer that they not buy from me not have a bad experience and not go share that all over online rather than try and convince them when they've already made the decision that they're convinced it's not going to work on the front end. So that's a little different. Um, it's the reason that our, uh, our customer service with our businesses, we don't push people to do stuff, right? I'm learning that with children. If I tell my children to go right, they're going to go left. So if I am trying to be effective with my children, I'm trying to ask them, to consider the consequences of what they're doing and the outcome options and to choose for themselves. And when they're going to make a stupid decision, a lot of the time lately, I let them, uh, we work it out in process. We let them make the decision, let them kind of come up with the outcomes on their own because that's the only way that they learn. Whereas my past self would be to just tell them, no, <laughs> you're not going to do that. Now, where did this kind of life lesson, so to speak, like when did it kind of come to fruition in your life or how, how did it kind of come it up, come up in your life to the point where you're, 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 you're learning this and now applying it uh, with your business, with, with relationships in terms of family? Like, do you, do you remember like a kind of a moment or a situation that you're like, man, like I need to adopt this or was it through reading something or somebody sharing it with you? Like, do you, do you know about that or, or is it just kind of come into your life, uh, you know, haphazardly? Uh, so my wife and I've been married. Uh, this will be our 23rd year, right? So I think for the first 15 years of our marriage, we were constantly on the brink of divorce, right? Like we fought like crazy. We're polar opposite people, um, just so opposite. It's staggering. And so for years, we tried to change each other. I would ask her to be something she wasn't. She would ask me to be something I wasn't. And it just caused issues. Right. And a few years ago, maybe about five years ago, I decided to try to take a different approach, a lot more communication, a lot more engagement. Last year, it suddenly hit me like a wall that the best thing I could do for my wife is just accept her for what she is, try and set a goal for how I would like to have a relationship. But at the end of the day, she gets to choose that she gets to choose like I get to choose. And instead of me trying to shove it down her throat and, and 
trying to what I would say suggest logical uh, responses to things. When emotions are high, there are no logical responses. <laughs> so instead of pushing, I just I've started to call like pull like not pull back, but maybe I I give her full freedom to do what. I mean, in our marriage, she is the dominant person. So let me start off with that. I'm an A personality. She's an A personality. Uh, my nickname for her behind her back is Red Fury. Um, she she's she is not one to back off at all. So I think what I've been learning from watching with her and then with the kids is the harder I shove, the more resistant they are. So if I try to say, but this is all that's going to, this is the only way that that works. My wife specifically has a tendency to go back and it's taken me damn near literally 23 years to realize the harder I push, the more she comes back at it. Whereas if I don't push and I say, Hey, I'm, I would like to do this together here are my suggestions. You pick or choose, but not put any emotion behind if she shuts me down or whatever, just kind of let her play it out. And I just give it space and time. Usually it helps itself rather than me being pissed, which doesn't work at all, actually. Right. That's, that's profound. Now I've got to, I've got to say, or I, I I'm assuming that's probably the better way to put it, that what you've learned with your uh, wife in terms of your guys' relationship and being married for 23 years, I'm, I'm sure that carries over to other relationships in terms of business, employees, and things like that. Am I, is that fair to say? And just expound maybe a minute on that. Yeah, I mean, so so if you were to, you can break literally take our businesses and break them into personalities. So uh, I'm more on the so I'm an A personality, but I'm a I'm a hard charger type, right? I'm one to jump without worrying about all the outcomes. Like I, my, my, my process is go attack win and I'll figure it out along the way. Does that make sense? My back off, like my, my, uh, like the accounting finance department within the business has a tendency. They're the, they're the other side of the business model, right? So they like to evaluate. They like to know what's going to happen before they start. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so how it applies in my business is I'm I'm of the opinion you're going to you need to take risks and have failures in order to learn and grow. They're of the opinion and and perspective that they would prefer to not take risks and have everything just they, they don't want to take risks at all. And so what I found is a happy medium where I for example if we launch a new product the happy medium for me is I know they want to they want to start with small average order sizes. They want to invest a little bit. They want to be able to dip their toe in the water. They don't want to go hard charging like me. I have to be okay that when I launch new products that we're going to run out of product in the first week or two. I just it's just going to happen. Like it happens every every damn time it happens. And so but I have to be okay with that and I have had to learn that their approach makes sense. Meaning there's obviously with our, you know, with our supplement business, there's all these label changes. And, and I mean, I can give you a whole breakdown of things we change with, within just a product after launch. So when I get into it, I, I've spent a lot of time trying to understand their perspective and their angle, fit my personality into what they're asking so that we mesh it instead of me knocking heads with people. It's not to say I don't knock heads with folks, just, so you know, um, 
I wish I could say I'm like super easygoing. I'm really easygoing like 90% of the time and I can make, but there's this 10% where I have a little bit of an intense personality and, and I, yeah. So I'm working on that right now. Cool. Cool. Valuable uh, advice there and information. Um, so the last uh, question here, before we kind of get into your, your upbringing, uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word, Phil? I do not. I have a lot that passed through my mind, like the one I just shared with you, man convinced against his wills of the same opinions. I have a lot of those, <laughs> but I don't think I have a favorite. Okay, cool. All right. Now, I want to kind of transition a little bit here, Phil, into uh, your upbringing, your childhood. Um, this is uh, a, a favorite part of, of the podcast and, and these conversations for me, because I know as adults, a lot of who we are today is from our past, specifically the adults that were in our lives, you know, when we were growing up and 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 who we were around and influenced by as 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 kids and children. So just talk a little bit about where you actually grew up. Uh, what was life like for you growing up? You know, siblings, did you play sports? Just paint that picture up to about high school. What was life like for you, Phil, uh, when you were when you were younger? So I am from southern Utah rural Utah. Um, when I was born, my mom had stage four cancer. So two weeks after I was born, she went into chemo and radiation and whatnot for her cancer. And I got shuffled around between all my family. Um, our family is super close. So my upbringing was being raised a lot by uh, grandparents on both sides of the family. And these were, my grandpas were old World War II uh, vet types, right? Um, they are rancher farmer types. So both grandpas owned large ranches. My grandpa Cox was Dr. Cox. So he was Dr. Cox in town. Um, my cousins were more like my siblings. So I grew up with a lot of cousins that are still to this day really, really close to me. We talk on a regular, like very, like weekly. Um when my mom was done with having her uh, cancer rate, you know, her cancer treatment, I had four younger siblings. I still stayed close to my grandparents and my extended family. Uh, for example, like in the summers and whatnot, I always went to the ranch and farmed and all winter. And I mean, I was gone a lot. And in high school, I actually lived with my grandparents. Um, so on sports, my family is a wrestling family. So seasonal sports go from football to wrestling to baseball in my family. That was our upbringing, right? Um, lots of hunting and fishing. Uh, if you could break it, smash it, uh, hurt it, I did. So uh, rugby um, busted my shoulder finally in a judo tournament in Asia. Um, I, I mean, I've had five shoulder surgeries, knee surgeries, Ankles broken, knees broken, collarbone broken. I'm do a back surgery and an elbow surgery. Like that's why I don't do CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> so um super active earlier on. Now I primarily work and chase kids. That's my and I coach. Mm -hmm. So okay. Now <clears throat> uh because of kind of the, the uniqueness of your upbringing with your mom obviously going through the cancer and, and kind of being raised in those early years by your grandparents and things like that. Um, was there a point where that uh, maybe negatively affected you or were you just surrounded by a lot of love and family and, and, and that situation didn't really affect you too much? 
I thought it was awesome. So um, my upbringing was fantastic. My grandparents were amazing. Uh, till the day they died, they were dear friends. Um, yeah, I was, I, I, I call it a, I mean, I, it was a huge blessing to me. So I've got nothing but positive to say. My grandpas, though, old school, if you will, right? They weren't, they were super kind in their lessons, right? So if I hypothetically stole somebody's neighboring tractor and went, you know, hot dogging out at the lake and got it stuck, instead of getting in like physical trouble, my grandpa would hand me hay hooks, uh, you know, a truck and a, and a big trailer and tell me that I was hauling hay till from 11 o'clock at night till six in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was good. Like I learned good principles. I learned, uh, to work my ass off. Um, yeah, I've got nothing. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up vacationing. Like most people, we didn't go to Disneyland. We didn't, I mean, spring break was, was moving cattle from one range to the other fall break was rainy rain moving cattle from one area to the other. Right. So, so not like, not like a lot of traditional people's lives, maybe that I find a, like my kids are raised totally different than me. Um, but I thought it was awesome. I thought it, I have nothing but positive to say about how I grew up. Cool. Cool. Now, uh, when you were in high school, did you have any thoughts of what you wanted to do post high school and what you wanted to be quote unquote, when you grew up or were you just kind of living in the moment, uh, when you did actually graduate from high school, how did life kind of unfold for you, Phil? So in high school, I wanted to be an attorney, um, primarily because I am fine with contention and the idea of being paid to argue with folks sounded kind of fun. Uh, after, um, so that was my high school plan. I still screwed off in high school. So let me good grades, but I wasn't like a scholar, right? My wife is super book smart. I did well, but not her level. Well, mm -hmm. um, after graduating from, uh, high school, I, I served a church mission. Mm. I served a mission to Taiwan, mm. um, spoke Mandarin, still speak a little bit of Mandarin. Um, came back uh, and then went to the University of Utah for my undergrad and uh, changed into moving into the business area. I went into business. I think like most people, you kind of start doing what you're doing for your career to support, to pay for college, right? So I was doing like five different gigs every, you know, and, and doing internships for on real estate and everything. And for some reason, because of everything I was doing, it changed. I changed my major into business. Okay. So... All right. So uh, once you graduate from the University of Utah, uh, where did life take you at that point? I went to uh, my first grad. I went to graduate school. Okay. So after I finished up at the University of Utah, I went and did an MBA at Utah State. And then I did that. And I then that right after that, I went to Thunderbird down in Arizona and did a master's of international management, which is like another MBA. Okay. So, cause I spoke two languages, I could get into their international business programs. And I did the international uh, business program with an emphasis in finance and Mandarin. Okay. And so when you were uh, kind of going through uh, Utah state, getting your MBA and getting all this continued education, I'll say, 
did you have thoughts uh, in terms of what you wanted to do with all the education or were you just kind of going through the hoop, so to speak, of just getting more degrees because at some point that was going to pay off for you? So I wanted to do international investment banking. Okay. That sounded fun for me. Um, if you if you grew up in a small rural area in Utah mm -hmm. and you only did was run cattle and ranching and hunting and fishing throughout the western states mm -hmm. and then you get thrown into Taiwan on a mission, you kind of find out real fast that you would like to see the rest of the world, right? So uh, my wife's family's from New Zealand. My wife was a big traveler. It was funny because we got married. I thought she would want to go be all over the world with me. And she thought I would want to be grounded and stay here in Utah, which is where her family moved to. So we got, we got married. I finished all my graduate school work and was doing uh, interviews in Asia primarily for work, for financing jobs. And she wanted to start a family. And um, let's just say my the in the interviews I was having, kids and my work schedule were not going to align very well. Uh, I think when I finished with um, Deutsche Bank in Hong Kong in my interviews, <clears throat> they told me I would start Monday morning at like 4 a.m., which isn't a big deal. I'm used to waking up early. And I'd get home probably Saturday afternoon at about 6 and that would be my schedule. I'd get time to sleep and the rest of the time I was going to be working my ass off. They even suggested to me to have my wife stay here in Utah and just pay for her to be there and then just take an apartment in Hong Kong because it would probably be better and then come see her full, you know, for a couple of weeks during Christmas and which I was pretty excited about that. I was interviewing with uh, four different entities in Asia, uh, B of A, Merrill Lynch, Deutsche Bank and Palmer Group and Let's just say that didn't go over well with my wife who wanted to have kids. And if you're not there to have kids, you're not going to have kids. So, so I lost just to give a, and took my education in business and stuff and moved into uh, private equity and debt and consulting and stuff like that. Okay. Now uh, let's, I want to touch on uh, your, your, uh, your family just for a quick minute, your, uh, like your, your wife and your kids, since we're kind of at that point before we continue kind of on the, on the business professional side of things. Uh, my, my, I'm very curious to, to know how did you and your wife actually meet? Because you said earlier that you guys are like polar opposites and things like that. So how did you guys actually uh, meet Phil? Well, first off, I dated her sister. Oh. <laughs> so I was introduced to her older sister and dated her sister. I stopped dating her sister uh, to be fair, my wife was engaged to somebody else. So it's a mutual thing here. Yeah. Um, about maybe a year after I started, stopped dating her sister, my father who knew their family suggested that I might want to consider the, the second daughter, right? Who, to be honest, my wife is a strawberry blonde, a redhead. And I had kind of a thought process of I'd rather be dead than with a redhead. Right. Um, because my family's hot headed. My grandma's a little bit of a redhead and she's, she's feisty. Yeah. And so that wasn't on my list. And I think we both uh, suckered each other into false personalities while we were dating for six months or a year, we got married and then we found out we were both opposite of what we thought. 
she was trying to change my wardrobe. I was trying to convince her that sex daily was supposed to be the way it needed to be. She was always, uh, she was super religious, if you will. I wasn't very religious. Um, uh, she was offended the, by the fact I cuss a lot and I couldn't figure out how she didn't know I cussed a lot. Um, I had guns, for example. Uh, she didn't, she's from New Zealand. She was not going to have guns in the house. I couldn't figure out how she thought I didn't have guns if I was hunting all fall. So I was like, do you think I'm like chasing down a deer and breaking its neck or something? And she's like, well, I'm not going to let guns in my house. And I thought, what the hell? So we basically fought on everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was our, yeah. So we, we dated, I'll be honest. I have no idea how we got married. I think there was like a fog somewhere in there. I was almost 25. I'd been dating forever. My wife had been dating. She'd been engaged to other people. I have no idea. Okay. Okay. Hey, this is called Curious and Candid, so I appreciate you being candid there, Phil, for sure. Yeah. Um, now, uh, when when did uh, when did you? Uh, I asked you. I thought you had like three kids. You have five kids before we hit record here on the podcast. So, uh, when did the first child come along? And then, um, what's it like having uh, five kids at this point in your life, Phil? Yeah. So my oldest. Uh, my oldest daughter, Charlie was born after we'd been married three years. So I was about 28 when we had her. Okay. She is in college right now. Um, so we had our three children. We did the normal cookie cutter every two years apart, had a child. And then due to some complexities in my wife's health, and I was shooting blanks at that point, we thought we were done. We thought since my wife couldn't have any more kids and, and I was done, I guess, wasn't able to perform that way anymore. We thought we had the three and we were doing pretty well. And then, I don't know, six, seven years later, my wife suddenly became pregnant with my, my, my son, which was a surprise. And then she was immediately pregnant again with our daughter shortly thereafter. And uh, that was tough. She spent about a year in and out of ICU with our last. She was, it was pretty rough. She wasn't, she literally wasn't supposed to be able to have two more kids. Hmm. So we had the two little ones. They've been my funnest, to be honest. I think it's because we're so worn out. We didn't give a shit what they did all the time. So um, with my older three, we were constantly paranoid with them. With the younger two, we just signed, we just said, you know, let them be. And they seem to be the most healthy as far as like uh, least amount of anxiety and worry and stuff academically and in sports are doing really well. And makes me wonder if I maybe was too actively involved with the older three or something. You know what I mean? Like they're like a novelty. It's like when you get a new puppy, you have your, have a child, you mother that you mean, you just like everything, right? Like, so yeah, but it's great. It's, just it's strange having kids that are older and then kids that are younger at the same time. You, I mean, my older ones are all going off, like they're all going to be out of high school and, and, you know, they're going to be in college. All of those will be gone and then I'll have the younger two and they're going to be around for a bit because they're eight and nine. So it's quite, it's a different experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reality is you might be having grandkids, you know, within the next few years and you're still going to have your own kids, you know, at, at home. So that'll be really weird, won't it? Yeah. And, uh, but I, I banned my kids from getting married before the age of 25. Oh, okay. Okay. 
I've told them um, that they're not allowed to get married before 25 because everybody's getting divorced. Okay. I don't want to raise my grandkids. Not to say I wouldn't love grandkids, but I'm, I, this, yeah, I'm, I've told my kids they get one go at it. Otherwise it sucks ass. Well, you know what, Phil, to go back to what you were sharing with us earlier, that might be something uh, they, they push back on you uh, with, right? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess. I mean, I'm the type of dad that when they're like, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll say, Hey, um, cause I smoke meat a lot, right. We don't drink alcohol, but I'll, I'll say, Hey, you guys should all take a shot of bourbon. Yeah. Let's do a bourbon and Coke thing. And they get really flustered and bothered. Cause they know I've just told them if you want to drink, let's just drink. Right. So I'm the dad that's like, Hey, if you're going to date the guy and you're going to have sex, wear condoms. Right. And we are very Christian, but it seems to be, they go opposite of everywhere I I push. So they're, they're good kids, but they're also more like their mom than me. So. Okay. <laughs> going to be interesting in the next few years with that. So, um, okay. So kind of stepping back into the business side of things, I want to kind of transition into uh, where you're at today. Cause I want to get into the silver fern brand and, and, and touch on that. But now from, from your uh, emailing back and forth with you, kind of your, your sign just says CEO, uh, of product, uh, is it pronounced bond B A B A H N? Yep. Okay. So what is, what is obviously we know what a CEO is, but what is product bond? How did you kind of get into that position and then talk about how, uh, the silver fern brand came to be? Cause I really want to start getting into kind of some of the, the gut health side of things, if you don't mind. Yeah. So the, the, so my, when I first started working, out of college, I was doing actually mostly real estate and private equity uh, debt investment stuff, right? So after you get done managing businesses that aren't running themselves very well and representing the investors and taking over businesses, you eventually get tired of it and just say, screw it. It's just easier for me to start my own. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So when the banking, uh, when the real estate market crashed in 08, I was still doing bond-like leases, but I took a venture into a new space that I'd never tried before. I have no technical capabilities at all. I'm technology challenged. I am not in on the innovative uh, first starter on new technologies. I, I don't know what hell, I don't know what the hell half of them are, but um, we built businesses. We actually started in the e-commerce space with a food storage company. We own a food storage company called legacy food storage. Um, product bond started as a management company to the, to the various, uh, brands we have online. Um, so we own legacy, we own a water distribution business that we've rolled in with legacy. And then we own silver firm brand. Interestingly enough, uh, when we started the businesses back in, um, all of our personal businesses and, and, um, that my wife and I started back in 03 and 04, my wife owns the businesses and I manage them. We saw the kids in business as a mutual partnership. So I wouldn't want to give up half of my kids. So, and, and, and I wanted her to be invested in the businesses. So when you look, if you go through the daisy chain of who owns what, my wife actually is the owner of the businesses. Okay. Okay. And I, and I manage them. So we work together. She's the strawberry blonde that you'll see on a silver firm brand occasionally. Right. Yeah. 
So we, we work together. Um, she's always been actively involved in the business side. She's more on the account in the past. She's been more on the accounting side, mm-hmm. uh, cause she's smart with numbers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we started the businesses together. We've grown them together, but the sense, uh, and we, we made the, the kids, the priority and she's a better parent than I am. So she, uh, she's actually just a better person probably, but so she raises, she's more actively involved as the nurture of the children. And I'm more out in the business side of things, but she does remind me on a regular basis she, that she can fire me. And I think legally she probably could, she just doesn't know all the ins and outs of the businesses. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so it's an interesting dynamic. Um, but uh, so we started Silver Fern maybe eight, nine years ago. Um, in part due to our curiosity on health, uh, mostly because my health was poor. Our oldest daughter, when she was 12, had uh, was diagnosed with a rare pain syndrome called amplified musculoskeletal pain syndrome. It's not treated here in Utah. She had to go be treated for it in Boston, at Boston Children's Hospital. Um, along with that pain syndrome came a lot of uh, health problems, uh, chronic constipation, stomach issues, bloating. Um, and that's, that's, that's when silver fern became silver fern. And, and that's when that started. So when people say, Oh, silver fern, what is it? Well, my wife's family's from New Zealand. So the silver fern is what you see on the all blacks Jersey, you know, the rugby team, the silver fern is a, is a symbol of New Zealand. So it's actually uh, my wife's brand, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Now, so you you start uh, the the silver firm brand. Now, first of all, I want to ask before we get to that, uh, when we did have uh, the the economic, uh, you know, uh, I guess probably crashes or however you want to word that back in, I think that was what oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, kind yep. of that time frame. Yep. I was in college. I didn't know what was going on at all, but. Um, did you did that uh, did that affect you in terms of where you were at financially and and business wise at that point or did you kind of uh, escape that uh, pretty pretty clean? No, it it crushed me. It probably it cost me it. I mean, we didn't file bankruptcy, but I lost all my we. So we were very careful when we when I graduated. We did the careful thing, right? Small town home, paid cash for everything, paid off student loans. I was, I didn't have any personal guarantees on any of my debt. And I had diversified my real estate holdings from residential, like low end, high end, multifamily, mixed use, industrial. Like I had a wide range of stuff. And in 08, I was good because my interest reserves and whatnot had held. I saved a ton of cash, right? But by the time 2010, 2011 rolled around, I was tapped out. So we started all over again. Okay. So it was a, I didn't file bankruptcy or anything like that because I had no personal guarantees on my debt, but I lost everything. Okay. So uh, let's, uh, so you, you, you guys kind of start your own businesses. Uh, the Silver Fern brand is, is birth. A lot of that has to do with some of the, the health, uh, you know, struggles with your, your daughter. But then also I know on your guys' website, you kind of alluded to it. You were having some health issues as well. So what health issues were kind of you having? And then I want you to kind of just tell us the story of uh, Silver Firm brand. Like, you know, uh, what is it? What, what What is your guys' focus? Like what products do you guys offer? Let's just kind of start 
diving into that. So first of all, your health issues, and then start kind of just giving us your uh, side of things in terms of uh, Silver Fern brand, Phil, please. Yeah. So um, my health issues consisted with everything from heartburn and reflux to, uh, to so from October through March of most years, I was running between um, uh, sinus infections, uh, bronchitis and walking pneumonia. So if my kids came home or if I was in a meeting with somebody that was sick, I was going to be out for three to four weeks. It was going to knock me flat. Um, and I was going to end up on antibiotics. Be mindful. I grew up with a grandpa who was a doctor that every time we'd get the sniffles had us pumping penicillin. So just start off with that, right. To explain possibly why my health is shot to hell. So we've been married. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how long, but my health was just going downhill. So certain food types would cause, uh, it would hurt. You know what I mean? So that's when like, uh, food avoidance started being necessary for me. Right. I started avoiding foods, um, which isn't necessarily my thing. Cause I'm a foodie, Yeah. but as I started, I had to avoid more and more foods and that sucked. And then, um, and I didn't want to live on antibiotics the rest of my life. If you've been reading anything, you know that you can't, antibiotics are not great long-term alternative, right? So um, my health issues were wide and far, everything from bloating to just the constipation, diarrhea, and everything else, right? But it's funny, with gut health issues, you kind of just assume that may be the norm, Right. I think the average person just kind of settles into feeling shitty. Yeah. Um, you you know, uh, one minute you're eating gluten fine and you can have whole wheat bread and stuff like that or mixed, you know, uh, mixed grain breads. And the next minute it just flares your whole system up and you just after that, you're just like, screw it. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Or you'll be stupid like I did. And three months later, give it a swing again. And you're like, oh, now I remember why I didn't do that. Yeah. And um, uh, so we. So if you look at my business model of all my businesses, I'm not usually the smart one, just to be blunt. My abilities are creating teams. Does that make sense? So I'm a team builder. Um, I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. My education's in finance and my back office guys can do absolute circles, wheelies, and do everything around me. I haven't done a spreadsheet in years on a financial model. Um. I know how to do marketing and sales well. Uh, I'm probably, if you were to look at my skill sets on the sales side of things, I'm strongest, but I'm I'm on, I'm really good on the deal structure side. So because I am a social person, um, it's very easy for me to network into all the suppliers. It's uh, so all of our suppliers, all of our uh, supply chain, just everything from fulfillment all the way to ingredient everything, the team, I create the team basically. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I run it past my wife and then she doesn't know what I'm talking about half the time. And then we move forward. But, um, but so I put really good people in good positions and then I let them manage themselves. Does that make sense? Like, so uh, we don't run a typical top down business model with a honestly, even we don't even call each other. Like I'm, I technically in the world, you know, may have been, may be considered a CEO or president or whatever. That's not quite how we run our business. Um, I'd probably technically call my wife, the president of Silver Fern. 
And, um, but our office is just, if people disagree, they're going to disagree. Does that make sense? Like it's, there's no heavy, I mean, I've, I try a heavy hand occasionally and I lose my shit and get mad at people, but it usually settles out. And half the time I still lose when I calm down and realize that they made sense. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, on the business model side, we originally, because I like to exercise and lift weights and, and was, I, we originally were going to move into the, uh, the, the fitness side of things, the healthy eating supplements like creatine, um, you know, your branch chain amino acids, uh, pre-workouts, post-workouts, that space, right? Well, the more I researched, the more I realized that gut health was the central focus of stuff, Right. And so I, I spent quite a bit of time researching gut health and finding my network in that space. I thought we were pretty dialed in. And then a very good friend of mine that's been in the supplement space for a very long time introduced me to a microbiologist who specializes in uh, the research side of, of the microbiome. And um, we did a pivot and we moved towards him doing all the formulations and creations in his team Uh being that front end on everything, right? Or on the back end, formulating, creating. And then he and his team created their own company and brand and and moved into that space. Um, we've kept a really, really good relationship with them. Um, even to this day, uh, we hired their chief science director last year in January, uh, full-time with us. We're picking up a lot of their team. They've been kind of, they've been going very corporate, right? They were acquired by a European company um, they've got some extremely good talent. And so we've been pulling a lot of them over, but I just team build and my team building acquisition of bringing on talent has to do a lot with what asking them what they want, making sure everybody's in alignment and then, and then, and then running the business. So, um, so the direction on our products, for example, I like to enter, as you probably know, I like to interact with customers. Yeah. I may be, one of the very few people that run a business and prefer to do my own customer service. So I understand what's going on. It's not very common. I'm finding, um, I take calls with customers on a daily basis. I talk to customers on a daily basis away from our science team. When they get done finishing, formulating new products, I work with people one-on-one -on -one until I feel comfortable that I can say that what we're doing works. Uh, the science is great. I appreciate the science. We've got super crazy smart people on the science side. But until I can sit down with somebody and start with massive issues of whatever they've got and work through the process and see them get better, we don't launch products. So I'm a little different that way. Um, I build a lot of our campaigns and the science side of our posts and our protocols and whatnot. Our science team obviously weighs in very heavily on that. But um, then my wife redesigns them and posts stuff, and and it's it's a it's an interesting yeah it's an interesting business model. But at any given time, our product development it literally centers around our customers' needs. Mm. So a lot of companies in our space, like if if you wanted to if if you wanted to start a supplement company, Utah is like the is like the second leading space for manufacturers for supplement stuff, right? You can literally th throw a rock in any direction and find a manufacturer, which is awesome. But most people go into those manufacturers and work with their food scientists to formulate products. That's the norm, right? 
We do not do that. We She's trained doctors for the last eight to 10 years on the microbiome. She's been in the microbiome research space for years and years on the research side on many studies. She's built stool kit tests. She's headed them up, wrote the protocols, built the systems. She's crazy smart. We have we have that caliber of people creating products rather than having a like a dietary, like a food scientist at a local manufacturer do that. We do not do that. Hmm. So because of that, we get kind of the, we get the new stuff before it hits the market typically. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So some things that I want to pull out from what you just shared with us, Phil, I want to touch on the uh, kind of what you said, one of your strengths as uh, an individual, as a CEO is, you know, creating or uh, putting together or building teams, right? Yep. Uh, now, can you just walk us through, you, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, finding like, you know, qualified people kind of asking them, you know, some, some things, but let's just say that you, uh, want to bring a team member into uh, silver fern brand. What are the steps that you individually take if you are hunting for the right person to add to an already existing team? Can you kind of walk us through those steps, what that kind of looks like, because team building in life obviously is, is important, whether it's the, the, a family team, a business team, an athletic team, like life is all about human connection. So walk us through uh, what you would do if you are looking to add a team member to an already existing team, if you don't mind. Yeah. So if you, the typical way that people start businesses, if you're a young entrepreneur, is you're going to take an ownership structure, I think this is fairly common, right? So you have 100% of ownership. Um, usually that's divvied out between management and the people that had the dream and the investment side. That makes sense. In our case, we didn't have the heavy investment side because we self-funded it, right? So in the past, when I was a dumbass, I would take a team of people that I felt were adequate for the task <clears throat> and I'd incentivize them with equity on the front end and build the ownership structure that way. Now what I do, well, so here's the lessons I learned. Let me start with that. <clears throat> lessons I've learned. When people say they want ownership, I, they don't necessarily know what that means. So typically it, when you ask people ownership, so I go a little bit further and I say, so do you want ownership or do you want to make money? And they're like, what? I'm like, so are you a cash flow person? Are you a future sell a business person that's going to take it in the shorts every year when there's, when, you know, cash flow is low or they're operating low? I mean, what participation level do you want to be? Do you, are, are titles a big thing for you? Um, is, you know, is appreciation a big thing? Because so me personally, titles don't mean shit. None of that stuff means anything to me. Um I care about seeing the business grow and I, and I care about money, meaning my incentive for building a, our businesses are getting around helping people. So people are obviously first priority. Um, I believe that helping people and doing the right thing is a better business model. So let me start off with that. I mean, just for meaning, just as a pure capitalist, I think helping people and putting your customer people as the first priority is the best business decision. Does that make sense? But beyond that, um, I've had people, I, I've had women 
get mad at me that we're running parts of the business in the past for not being more appreciative. I gave a lady a very healthy bonus over the holidays. I was traveling with her like maybe two or three months later to a show and she was mad. Like I could just tell she was just pissed. We're sitting there on the plane. She's not talking. We've got other business partners, but I was like, is there a problem? You have been pissed. And she's like, well, you just don't understand me. And I was like, well, help me understand. And she's like, why don't you ever tell me that you appreciate me? I said, well, I did. I, th I think I do that all the time. She's like, no, you don't. You just pay me more. You give me bonuses. You walk in and give me a check. And I'm like, well, that's the same thing. And she goes, no, it's not. And I'm like, so you're telling me you would prefer to, for me to acknowledge what you're doing and focus on how well you're doing rather than in, rather than the money side. And believe it or not, her, her, her biggest thing was she just wanted me to say thank you. You're killing it. You're crushing it. I'm so thrilled with everything you're doing because my style is just to walk in and be like, that was, that's freaking killing it. Here's a check. It's just my style. It's, yeah. it's what gets me up in the morning, right? If somebody gave me a $10,000, just random bonus, I'd be like, shit, that's great. I feel so happy. And, and it didn't do anything for her. Right. Uh -huh. I had our logistics uh, operations guy years ago. I, I was like, okay. He said he wanted to be incentivized. I, I knew he was a little bit more on the sensitive side. Like I remember I grew up in rural Utah. We beat the shit out of each other growing up, wrestling, fighting. He, he was a little bit softer on that. And so I thought the gratitude and appreciation would be huge. And then the money, because he had a family and kids. And I learned the hard way with him when we got into it. His big thing is he wanted a title. He wanted to be executive vice president over all logistics and operations or something like that. And I, wow, that was an interesting lesson. So now when I'm bringing somebody into the business, I, I do a courting period. Hmm. I court them. Hmm. I say, hey, let's, so uh, let's take Acacia, for example. We brought Acacia full time over. She's always, she's worked for us for about nine years, but she hasn't been full, full time with us. We've been sharing her with the like she trains doctors. She, she, she was traveling all over the world. Right. And so I wanted to hit her buttons. I found out what she liked and what was important to her. She had helped build another business up to a multi hundred million dollar company. And when they did the sell, she got screwed on that a little bit. In my opinion, I could tell she was uh, not happy with that. I knew she wanted freedom. She didn't want somebody to have their thumb on her all the time. So I, I very carefully found out everything I could about what she valued. Um, and we, and then once we understood that, I structured her relationship with the company that way. But now instead of just going out on my side and their side, instead of me saying, hey, let's, let's formalize this out the gate on, with anybody, I say, how about I start paying you and you start doing your area, what you want to do. Let's refine that for six months. Let's find out everything you want to do, and then I'll formalize it into an agreement that matches what you seem to care about. Make sure you're on board with that, and then we'll lock it down. Hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Like uh, the days of me knee-jerk reaction and throwing out partnership interests and in businesses are done. I don't do it. I've had to buy out partners before. I had a partner that I gave a small minority interest to. I think it was 4%. He didn't do jack shit, and I... 
before he fully vested, uh, I gave him his notice that we were going to be buying his 4% back. And the valuation from the third-party valuation company came out at 130000 We accepted that for 4%. Gave him a, like, paid him for 90 days since I'd let him go. Didn't fire him for cause or anything. Just let it all go. A little prick sued me for, he wanted 275000 Craziest thing I'd ever seen. I was like, what the hell? I, I literally just gave it to you. Yeah. You were getting a salary. You were getting like everything. You are getting everything. I literally gave it to him and he still sued me. So that was a painful lesson, right? I've had some of those. Um, so now these days I'm pretty focused on making sure that all the parties are aligned with, I mean, I don't expect people to work like I do. Like I will work, I'll literally work six, seven days a week. I'm comfortable with that. I do not expect that of other people. Um, I didn't grow up doing holidays and vacations and stuff. I just grew up working. That makes sense. So I don't expect people to behave like me because they didn't grow up like me. Right. Um, but I do like to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And I, I don't find that out for, a, a, it takes a while. It's kind of like marriage, right? Remember I told you that my wife and I dated and we got married six months later and we got, and after we were about two months into marriage, we were both like, what the hell? Yeah. Business is the same thing. Yeah. So it's best to court for a while, make sure everybody's on the same page. I know that most people are scared by that. They're like, we should formalize this. Even when I used to consult people, be like, hey, Phil, let's formalize all this. I'm like, uh, this is what it will cost you to pay me to do the work every month. No contracts. Yeah. Uh, my work will either satisfy the contract payment or it won't. And if it doesn't, you should fire me. Hmm. And then we'll formalize it once we've we've had a chance to dance for a while. Right. So yeah. that's my new style. Love it. Okay. Very wise. Now, um, something else I want you to touch on, if you don't mind, because uh, you were talking earlier about, you know, spending time with, with customers and being on the phone and connecting with people uh, and, and in full transparency, you did that with me back. I think it was in December. I sent uh, a, a random DM uh, to silver firm brand on Instagram. You started to, you know, uh, conversed with me. You gave me your cell phone, which I was like, dude, who, who, who does this? Like somebody that's the head of a company, this is crazy. And then you literally spent uh, an hour on the phone. Uh, I explained, you know, kind of what I was dealing with in terms of my, my, my gut uh, issues. Uh, and you literally spent an hour on the phone with me uh, explaining, uh, you know, some of the products that you were suggesting me to take kind of uh, giving me some uh, behind the scenes and, 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 and some uh, scientific information in terms of the, the protocols that you were suggesting. And I, I was personally blown away. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that have been blown away by how you choose to connect with your customers and, and spending time with them, right? So first of all, where did that come to be in terms of, you know, where did you learn that? Or is that just the way you've kind of always operated? And then second of all, um, just talk about the importance of, kind of having your own boots on the ground as the CEO uh, and 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 connecting with customers and, and networking with people because you kind of said that earlier, you're, you're really good at networking. And I feel like in life, especially with business, that's really everything. The more hands you shake, they say the more money you make. So touch on that, Phil. Yeah, so on the interactions with customers, we are, in most cases, we're playing around with people's health, right? Yeah. And um, it's not like I'm selling them a mattress or a pair of shoes. 
I'm not, I'm not selling them a traditional good. Most of the people that come to us are completely screwed up, right? They have, they have bad issues. Uh, I have lots of customer service people. We have that, but I, I hate to miss. So when it comes to people's health, I even go through my customer service people's responses to customers and double check to see what they, what the customer said and then what, what my customer service people said back to them. So for example, I found two messages yesterday with some of our customer service people who are wonderful people, by the way, and it's wrong. Like their responses are wrong. They're just, I saw it, I saved the messages and I'm doing training tomorrow with our customer service people. So they understand what we're, what we're doing. Our business is only works if people succeed. That's it. Our success rates high. It's not high enough in my opinion. You know what I mean? Um, I can give you product after product and and example after example where we did our best, learned how to do it better. And I think I'm probably one of the only people that when a customer reaches out and yells at them, will be like, tell me what the problem is. Now it's on my dime. I'll pay for it. And I give them, I give free shit away all the time. Uh, our goal is to help people, period. End of discussion. Um, if I'm not helping them, then I'm I'm scamming people. That makes sense. Like, so I, I spend a crazy amount of time one-on-one with people as much as I possibly can. I think I've got four calls today with customers, um, especially with little children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, all customers with children issues come to me. Um, I want to make sure those are helped. The people that are, that I like the people that have not had success with anything else. Mm-hmm. I like those a lot. So, and I learned from that, right? Like, where we reformulated uh, recently, we have a, a reflux product that we will be going national with um, in ra- radio ads uh, here in the next couple months. And it works fantastic. But when it was formulated and created, the sweetener base on it had a little bit of acid in it, right? Is this part of the sweetener thing? Uses uh, some stevia extract, uh, monk fruit extract, and then a little bit of malic acid. You know what happens when you drop a little bit of malic acid into people's stomachs that have gastritis? lights them the hell on fire. When we did the pre-launch tests, I only tested that and we did it with probably 25 to 50 people that had, uh, they had GERD and LPR issues. They had no form of gastritis. It, it worked wonders. Like I had people getting off acid blockers in, week, in like a week or two. Well, as soon as I found out that people that have gastritis also have GERD and whatnot, we have a new flavor coming out next week. It's a vanilla cream and it will have no acid in it. Um, if I have my way by the end of this year, if somebody comes to me and they're a colossal screw, like their body is just shot to hell with the stuff I'm working on right now, I should be able to resolve big issues fast, faster than everybody else. It's not a money thing for me. I'm always trying to figure out how to drive costs down too. Right? So for me, it's trying to figure out a way. I try to put myself in the mind of a customer I try to understand where they're coming from. And then I try to put stuff together in a way to help them feel comfortable that we are, we have, we're not trying to scam them. We're not trying to lie to them. We're not trying to hide stuff. I'll I'll share anything anybody wants. My biggest obstacle in full transparency is the freaking FDA. Um, I can't publish everything. I can't put every ingredient information on the website. Like I used to in a library resource because the FDA as I'm not allowed to treat, cure, heal, 
I'm I'm only allowed to may you know may help with occasional. I'm it's just a freaking disaster. And so um so on that side, I hope that answers the first question. I learn our business grows because we learn what our customers need because when a customer calls and yells at me about something that's not done right, I want to fix it. Yeah. I don't want to hear from some person down the line that says, Hey, Phil, we have this issue. I, I, if a customer wants to yell at somebody, I, I have the, I have my customer service people refer them to me and I let them yell at me. Yeah. That's, that's how our business rolls. What was the second question? So uh, when, when did you kind of learn the importance of, you know, uh, connecting with your customers? Is that something you kind of always done or did you have a mentor? Did you just learn that through the years of business? Like just, just, that was kind of like what I wanted to get out of you there. Yeah. So I, I learned it years ago. My, um, so I used to raise capital for businesses, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things I learned really quickly when I was helping people raise capital for business is a person tries to raise capital and they're only thinking from their perspective. They're like, literally, it's like mixing two, it's like two different people with two different agendas. An investor has certain things they're looking for. And the person looking for capital have the things that they're looking for. And when those two things don't align, you don't get funded. And so when I used to put capital together for businesses, the first thing I used to do is explain to the business, you need to understand what the investors are thinking. They don't need you, you need them. So I used to teach them that, right? Um, and once they understood that, they would put together a presentation that matched up with what the investors needed to see in order to make a decision on the investment. Now, I, I do the same approach with our customers. I try to learn everything that's going on in their universe, all things, as much as possible. I try to assume that they have all of those problems, and then we try to build answers to accommodate that. Does that make sense? Because if somebody comes into me and they're like, I have SIBO, or let's see, this one's even better. They'll say, I have IBS, which is just a it's just a tag term for nobody knows what the hell's going on, right? right. For us, that means SIBO. It means it means CFO. It, it, like, I, I just assume everything's broken at that point. Imbalances, inflammatory issues, gut barrier integrity issues, immune system. I just assume it's all shot because that's the experience that I've learned working with customers. And then we work from there. And our business is driven by our customers' needs. So right now I'm working on new products and it's all driven by areas we have holes in, to be totally blunt. Right. Okay. Cool. Okay. We're we're gonna we're gonna start heading toward the finish line now. I'm gonna have to get you back on just to simply talk some of the the science and facts of of, of gut health and stuff because that's a, a two hour podcast in of itself. But I do right. want to touch on one thing that you really spent some time explaining to me. And I feel like this is kind of the starting point for most people with what we would consider gut health issues. And you, you really spent time talking to me about getting regular, right? Like if you're, if you're, if you're not regular, if you're not having great bowel movements every day, uh, from, from what I took away from our conversation, then, you know, you can put all the products in your system, but it's, it's, it's just not gonna, it's not really gonna work because the, the, the number one thing isn't working correctly, so to speak. Right. So yep. would you just, the way that you do it, Phil, just explain to us how important it is, first of all, to get regular, to have great bowel movements before you start addressing any other issues in terms of the gut. Did I kind of word that, uh, yeah. you know, correctly? Yeah. Okay. So 
I mean, a lot of the thing is what's the, it's kind of like gut health is a little bit of the chicken and the egg, right? So imbalances and stress and bad diet and all these things, they trigger, they, they, I mean, you do things, medications that triggers an imbalance, that imbalance triggers uh, an effect throughout the system, which then uh, uh, hits the, um, the nervous system in a way that slows motility down. So the question, the normal thing people would think is they would say, well, if I have an imbalance of some kind as a result of stress, medications, something has something has regulated their system down to slow, right? The the initial response that nor that I think most people would say is, hey, let's let's correct the imbalance. So that 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 makes sense to them, right? The problem is, is how do you clean up something that's clogged up? Like it, it just it's you just can't do it. You've got to unclog it first. And then, then it's easy to clean up. Once it's unclogged, it's easy to clean up. So when we had to do the chicken and egg thing, after a lot of time, just working with customers and then our science team, we, we don't jump into the gut cleanup until motility is good. Right. So SIBO is a dysmotility issue. IBS is a dysmotility issue. Candida overgrowth is a dysmotility issue. Autoimmune issues are dysmotility issues. GERD is a dysmotility. Pick something meaning it's a like gastroparesis is obvious like just delayed stomach um uh delayed uh stomach emptying right a gastric emptying so what we found with most people i start with basic questions and what i'm really looking for is where their motility is Hmm. i'm I'm trying to mentally line up where's your motility how bad is your gut and what do we need to deal with right so the very first thing i'm looking for is do you have constipation constipation and reflux, GERD, upper GI issues, um, or do you have more on the rapid motility issue side, right? Then we can put a plan together where we hit everything uh, backwards and forward. If a person has slow motility, the odds of them getting better is really bad. So uh, take SIBO as a good example, because it seems like everybody's getting SIBO these days, which is just a bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine, right? That is a dysmotility issue. The main, the average doctor is going to have somebody load up on antibiotics. It's going to kill all those bacteria. It's going to wipe them out. That person's going to feel great for about 90 days, maybe 120 days. And then they're going to start feeling like crap again. And it's because SIBO is a motility problem. When things are slow, bad things grow. And so people can't understand. They keep running back and forth on antibiotics. They're like, I did it and it didn't, and then it worked and then it didn't work. And then I did it again. And usually they get to me at about step, like they're on their fourth round of antibiotics over the last three or four years for something like SIBO. And my answer back is antibiotics would work just fine if you did motility first and then you killed everything off and then you uh, improve the system. The problem is, is antibiotics do a mask. I mean, whether people, they, it kills, it kills a lot, right? It's a, it kills a lot. Well, guess what happens when you kill a lot of things rapidly and and it's not balanced. There's no balancing going on there, right? They'll say, take a probiotic and that they don't even know what the hell that means. So they have people take a probiotic, person has SIBO, they, they, um, they, they, then they give them an antibiotic, it kills everything. The person gets done, they've killed everything, but guess what grows? Now guess what comes back fast? The, I mean, the bad bacteria grow back fast. So think of it like this. If I give you a mental image of it, imagine you have a garden that's just run amok. Okay. 
like the garden is just crazy. It's just absolutely overgrown like crazy, right? You have a couple options in which to go with, but let's say you just decide to throw Roundup across the entire top of it to kill everything. You round up that thing or you, hell, let's just say you dump gas on it. It kills everything and then you burn the top and you're like, wow, this is clean. And then you go to start regrow your garden, right? Guess what grows really well in really poor soil? Weeds. So guess what grows back really fast? Weeds. Nothing else grows back well. So instead of doing the the scorched earth approach, <laughs> we don't do that. We we like to literally target and selectively remove the bad stuff, keep the good stuff. That's the correct way to go. It takes a little bit longer. Antibiotics are fast, right? You can go in and take an antibiotic series in 30 to 90 days, kill everything, and you're done. That's the scorched earth approach, but it, its success rate's low. So we do motility, cleanup, and then build out. That works extremely well. If done right, it works extremely well. Cool, cool. Okay. Um, for the sake of time, I know you have uh, a full day ahead of yourself, a lot more to, to do before your day's done. So we're going to, we're going to wrap it up there. I do want to ask you kind of a wrap up question. And that would be, uh, what keeps you up at night? What, what kind of keeps you like, you know, uh, you're, 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 you know, trying to go to sleep, but you're, you're thinking about what, like, what's that one thing or a few things that kind of keeps you up at night, Phil? So I have a routine to calm my mind down before bed because of that problem. Um, but usually that keeps me up at night, um, these days would be unfinished. So my businesses are established. They go pretty well, right? On the business side of things right now, I've got a product I'm testing that'll help people quicker and faster. Mm -hmm. And I have a problem in that. I would like to just tell people to not buy anything from me until it's all finished and everything's completely done. And, and I'm never quite there yet. Right. So I think the thing that I sit on at night is the frustration I have with, because I'm impatient. I don't know if I've mentioned that I'm super impatient. Um, what I, what I stew on at night is little, little lingering things that aren't resolved yet. Little things that I could be doing better that aren't like unfinished projects. Right. So if I have an unfinished project, it drives me crazy. So you, here's, here's my, my, it's taken me two years to learn how to go to sleep and know that I have messages that haven't been answered. So how about that one? Drives me batshit crazy. <laughs> what, what's your, what's your night routine? Cause you know, in the introduction, one of the, the first question is kind of like how you start your day. But I also know that, you know, a, a night routine is just as important, if not more important than a morning routine. What, what have you kind of learned that does help you at least a little bit get, get to sleep and get some decent rest? So I shut off my phone, phone, computer, everything shuts off at seven. I'm out. Um, for that next hour, I get uh, ready for, I mean, I'm getting my stuff ready for the next day. We start early and go all day, right? So I'm getting everything set up for the morning and I'm getting everything put together. I find something that just relaxes me. So um, anything that'll take my mind off of work and life craziness, like I've told my wife, after eight o'clock, we do not talk about super intense stuff. We don't fight. Have you ever heard that concept? Don't go to bed uh, angry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, it's a that's a, a verse in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't agree with that verse. <laughs> okay. Um, it's very for me personally going to bed like trying to discuss 
like stuff that my wife takes, you know, issue with or bringing up big stuff at night when you're tired yeah. is just a recipe for a freaking disaster. Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah. I've had a, uh, my wife and I have a truce of sorts mm -hmm. where we won't talk about, we don't talk about, uh, we don't fight at night. We don't argue about it. We don't get into it. We will reconvene in the morning, uh, usually a half hour before we end up at the gym while we're driving and we will work it out before we go into the gym. It works much better for us. So after seven, I start pulling everything back. That's when I take the dog out for a walk. I'll watch a low key, like I won't even watch a really exciting show at that time. It's got to be something that's pretty low key, pretty easy going. Uh, Ted Lasso is a fun one, right? Like something that's just fun. That's just relaxing a little bit. It makes me laugh and chuckle and I can take my mind off everything. On a supplement side, about seven o'clock, I take magnesium glycinate and I take uh, mag team um, and I, I take mag team in the morning, too. And then I take our quiet serenity. And when I take that and I have an hour or two, it calms me right down. The mag, it works really well for stress and anxiety. And you sleep deep. You'll remember your dreams the next morning, which is pretty cool. So that's my I have a calm down thing. Reading is awesome. Mm -hmm. Reading a book right before bed that's not super crazy like a relaxing book if you're reading a book where you're going to learn something your brain will stew on it so i would suggest your science fiction ish type low-key you know jack carr type book types um i would suggest that type of stuff before bed that's that can calm you down a little bit you're not vested in it it's just a nice comfortable read that's what i do cool all right Okay, Phil, we're gonna we're gonna end it there. Uh, before I do a quick outro and I let you go here, um, why don't you any anything that you want to share uh, in closing? Uh, give us the website, Instagram for uh, Silver Fern Brand. Anything else? I know that, uh, and I'm gonna share this here in a quick minute. You you gave uh, us specifically for this podcast a, a discount code for all the uh, viewers and listeners to to uh, to use uh, with the Silver Fern Brand. So I'll give that out in a minute, but um, any, any, any closing thoughts, where can people connect with you guys? Where can people buy your products? And then, um, I'll, uh, I'll send this out after that. Yeah. So, uh, silverfernbrand.com is the website. Um, if you want, uh, help and guidance and, and whatnot, um, I'm, I respond mostly on Instagram. So I would have people reach out and then if they want, they can just ask for me, Phil. And I will all custom build their responses for them. Cool. Okay. Phil, I'm going to do a quick outro and then I'll let you go. But uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little bit of your story with us today. Okay. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. All of you who are tuning into this episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. Um, as we wrap up this great chat today with Phil, uh, if you guys would please, uh, if you're on Instagram right now or right by your phone, um, jump on Instagram and give Curious and Candid Podcast a follow. Uh, that's where you can kind of keep uh, current on all the latest episodes. And then if you guys want to connect with myself, uh, if you think that uh, you have a, a great story that you'd like to share on the podcast, um, if you just uh, want to give us some feedback, which we're always open to feedback, um, you can send us an email at curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. And then, like I said earlier, uh, Phil is very uh, kind and gracious to give us a, a specific discount code for Curious and Candid podcast. So if you guys go to uh, Silver Fern Brand 
you know, .com and buy any of their products, which I highly recommend. I highly suggest I've been on uh, uh, so, some protocols since December and they've worked very well for, for myself personally. Um, you guys at checkout can use CC15 and that's going to get you guys 15% off uh, your order. So um, make sure that you guys go and support uh, the Silver Fern brand, support behind, uh, not behind the Muscle Podcast, that's my other podcast, but support Curious and Candid by using CC15 at checkout. That would be greatly appreciated. And then I'm going to leave you guys with this quote uh, by Roy T. Bennett. And it states, listen with curious curiosity, speak with honesty, act with integrity. The greatest problem with communication is we don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. When we listen with curiosity, we don't listen with intent to reply. We listen for what's behind the words. I'll catch you guys later.